You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 8 is all about David. Now he's been, he's been established as king over all of Israel. All of the people of Israel, the civil war that was going on for years between him and Saul is now done, and he is the rightful king. And we're going to see David now turns the nation's attention to the enemies. And they take back the ground that God had always given, first and foremost, to his people Israel. David is a warrior for the Lord, and he's taking back the ground in the power and the favor that God has given him. When I first came to Life Church about three years ago, come August, I was working at uh, some other, I worked at two other churches in the area, and, and it, was, it was, had a great time, a great season of life at both those churches. Um, but 2020 hit, and I just felt so discouraged by the response the American church, this is not an indictment on any single church in this area, this is just the American church, how we responded during the 2020 season. There were so many pastors all over this country that, that, were, that were cowering in fear, that were shutting churches down, that were, that were running from the battle, not running into the battle, running away from the battle. And I just remember just being so discouraged. And the, you know, I have a business management background and an economics degree. And I, I remember just thinking, okay, I'm kind of done being full, in full-time ministry. And I said, all right, Lord, I'm just going to go into the business world. What do you have for me? You know, let's, let's go that route. I kind of thought that's what, where God was leading me. And as, as I was beginning to kind of process those, you know, those thoughts and pray through those, I happened to meet, and it was sort of by happen chance, a divine, a divine appointment. I met a guy who was a pastor at a church called Life Church. His name was Nathan Peternell. And... At the time, we had three campuses, and he, or he had three campuses, and, uh, and you know, just I, I like sitting down with fellow pastors and grabbing, you know, uh, breakfast or coffee with them and kind of hearing, hearing their hearts. And I had stumbled across Nathan at a, uh, and it, it was the Atlanta New Earth Festival that is going on. So Life Church, the students, had to run the worship stage. Uh, and they were, they were basically emceeing, and Nathan was emceeing. And then the ministry that I was running at the time called Sing Love Worship, which is a next-generation training ground for worship leaders, we were leading worship. And so the students were out leading worship. Nathan and I were back kind of off to the side of the stage. And he's like, hey, I'm Nathan. You know, I'm Micah, and we're fellow pastors. And, and I start talking about just like, hey, where, you know, where are the bold leaders within the American church? And, he, and, and collectively, we ended up a few months later, we, get, we got breakfast together. And I brought that up again. I said, Nathan, where, where are the bold leaders? He said, Micah, let me tell you something about who God has wired me to be and what God, I believe, is doing at Life Church. And he took me to a passage in Job chapter 39. And he opens it up and he, and he says, the, the, the Lord was talking to Job about all of the foundations of the earth. Because remember, Job was going through all of these problems. His family had died. His business was collab had collapsed. He, was, he had boils on his, his health wasn't good. And it was all because God was allowing the devil to do this to Job. And Job begins to bemoan the fact that his plight in life is not good. And he's going to the Lord. He's like, Lord, I'm a righteous man. What, have you, what are you doing? And the Lord then, after Job is is 
is laying his complaints at the foot of the throne, the Lord says, all right, Job, gird up your loins. Basically, put on your big boy pants because now I'm going to speak to you. And he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when all of this divine romantic story was crafted? Were you anywhere? No, you were not. And the Lord says something interesting about the horse, and this is what Nathan was getting at. He says, the spirit of this horse, the war horse, is the same spirit he's putting me. And the Lord tells Job this in Job 39, verse 19. He says, do you give the horse his might? Do you give clothes to his neck with the mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exalts in his strength. He goes out to meet, to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver of arrows, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. And, Mike, and Nathan said, Micah, that's the spirit God's put in me. He says, I look forward to leading my church in the battle. I look forward to hearing the trumpeter of heaven calling us to the battlefield. I look forward to following Jesus, the captain of the general of heaven's armies into battle. And he said, that's the spirit life church is moving in right now. And I said, Wow, you do exist. The unicorn is real, you know? And it was so encouraging. And, and we began, we had a three-hour conversation. And it was like, we're brothers from another mother. That's, that's what, and you know, it's, it's funny. Both our mom's names are Kathy, too. So it was like, it was getting real weird and, and all. And, you know, it's like, but we, we, we were like, gosh, that is, that's what God is doing in America right now. And so then praise the Lord, Susan and I, we came on staff. It's been awesome, and, and we've loved it. And you know what? It's not just Life Church. What I am seeing across the country through bold pastors and leaders and organizations like what Charlie Kirk is doing with Turning Point USA Faith and, and pastors like Pastor Rob McCoy and Jack Hibbs and people like that that are rallying the church to be the warriors God has called us to be. It's happening, we're waking up. But my question to all of us here today is have, have you allowed the spirit of the warhorse to be put into your heart or do you continue to kind of push back on that? I'm gonna tell you right now, David had that spirit. David, without a doubt, was a warrior. You know what he was doing? He was modeling the character of God. The spirit of God was in him. Exodus 15.3 says, the Lord is a warrior, Yahweh is his name. If you are made in the image of God and you want to walk like Jesus walked, you're going to be a warrior. Plain and simple. Now please do not confuse niceness with love. Because a lot of people in today's culture think Jesus was nice. Jesus was not nice. They did not crucify Jesus because he was nice. They crucified Jesus because he was a warrior and they hated him for it. Jesus walked into the temple, saw what God God's quote-unquote people in the culture were doing to the holy of holies, to, to the sacred. 
He walks into the temple and sees how the sacred is being defiled. He comes back out of the temple. He finds three cords. He fashions together a whip so he can premeditatively go in and kick their butts. He goes back in, he flips over the tables and he starts whipping the people because he says, you defiled the sacred. And I am a warrior sent from heaven to bring back holiness to this place. Now, people who are getting whipped, I'm telling you right now, probably did not think Jesus was very nice in that moment. And they hated him for it. But what God is doing at Life Church is he's raising up, I believe, the special forces branch of heaven's military. If you've ever looked at the United States military, we have an amazing military. You have all these different branches. And within each branch, they have a special ops unit. You have the Navy SEALs, you have Delta Force, you have the Green Berets. You have these incredible elite warriors that are trained for the day of battle. And if you were ever to go to one of those warriors, Navy SEALs, if they're, you know, they're, they're training out in Coronado Bay, out in San Diego, if you ever go out to Coronado Bay and say to the Navy SEALs, hey, you guys are training for fighting for war, but guess what? You're never going to be in the war. You're never going to go to battle and actually fight the enemy. What do you think that's going to do to their spirits? They're going to be like, well, what the heck are we doing this all for? And I believe the Lord is asking the church in America, you have gone to church. You have studied the word. You have done life with other warriors what do you think I'm training you for? Just to sit in your church and not go out and be bold and stand for truth? No, I'm training you for the day of battle. And not only that, you should be excited for the day of battle, just like the horse is excited for the day of battle. That's who we are called to be as sons and daughters to the king of kings, to the warrior. The same messenger when Joshua was getting ready to take the land of Canaan, right before Jericho, he's standing out by himself and he looks up and he sees this mighty shining warrior. And Joshua turns and he says to him, are you for us or against us? What is, what is the angel's response? The angel says, neither Joshua, I am on my own side. Now angel just means messenger, but there is not an angel in heaven that would ever say, I am on my own side. Any angel would say, we are here on the side of the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts. But when this angel says, I am on my own side, and then he tells Joshua, take off your shoes for you are standing on holy ground. And Joshua begins to fall down and he worships at the feet and the angel receives the worship. Guess whose presence he was in? Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. It was not an angel. It was the son of God, fully clothed for battle. And he goes to Joshua. He says, Joshua, I am a warrior. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. You're on my side. And I am preparing you for the day of battle. Now go in and take Jericho and take the land. Now people have to remember, and I've used this analogy before, God loves everyone. Yes, he does. But God will protect his children. And he's calling every single human being to be a part of his family you have an opportunity to be a part of the family of God. But people reject God. And they say, we don't want to be a part of your family. We want, to, we want to join the enemy. When you do that, you are waging war with God. And I promise you, you will lose that war every single time. If you were in your home and someone broke into your house and was going to kill you and your family, what would you do as a parent who loves the people in your house? You would fight, you would defend your family. 
You would do whatever you could to end the threat for your family. Now, are you doing that out of hatred for the person coming into your house? No. You're doing that out of love for the people in your house. God is the same way. God will defend his children with a mighty force, with a fierceness that will just overtake the enemy. And again, he loves everyone, but if you choose to be on the side of the enemy, you will be destroyed by the Lord, plain and simple. And he loves you, but he will destroy you. Why? Because his children are the ones he's protecting. And we see this right now in 2 Samuel chapter chapter 8, verse 1. David, being a child of God, is leading the Israelites, the children of God, and they begin to take back the land that the wicked enemy, who have oppressed God's people for many years, they take it back and they say, enough's enough, and the Lord gives them favor and strength to do that. And if you're on the side of the enemy, like the Philistines or the Moabites or the, or the, the Armenians, the, the ones that we're going to see here, you might think God is a really mean, tyrant God. Yeah, because you chose to be his enemy. My question to you today, are you on the side of God or are you are opposing God? Which side are you on? Verse 1, after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. It's a pretty tough, that's a pretty tough passage of Scripture to understand and to get your head around if you don't know the justice of God. And if you don't understand the history of the Moabite people and how they have oppressed the Israelite people, David kills two-thirds of them in that moment. He executes them. And he leaves a third to remember and to serve the people of Israel. And you may say, wow, that's really mean. Yeah, it's mean if you're on the side of the Moabites. But if you've seen what the Moabites have done to God's people for many, many years, God is saying enough is enough. David also defeated Hediazar, the son of Rehob, Rehob, king of Zobah, Zobah, and he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. So David is now destroying the horses that he gets from the enemy. And you may say, why, why is that important? Because what the Bible is hitting on right now is a very, very important fact that Deuteronomy points to when Moses was being told by the Lord what to do about raising up leaders. The Lord gave him very specific instructions on how the leaders are to act. And the Bible here in 2 Samuel is actually showing you that David had the DNA of an awesome godly leader because he's doing what Deuteronomy 17 says that leaders should do, to not multiply horses. And there's also a few other things I'm going to show you. If you ever want to see who the godly leaders are or know if someone is a godly leader, put them to the Deuteronomy 17 litmus test. Deuteronomy 17 says this in verse 14, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it, just what David is doing, and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself. 
Exactly what David is doing here. He's saying, I know what Deuteronomy says about godly leaders. I can't acquire more horses for myself. You may say, well, why? Well, because it will cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many more horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book of a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, and he and his children, and he and his children in Israel. So let me break it down for you. Godly leaders are to be among the people. We talk about growth track at Life Church. And if you want to be a part of leadership and you want to lead the life group or you want to dive into serving here at Life Church, we ask you to first go through growth track. Why? Because we want to know who labors among us. We want you to know us and we want to know you. You're not to lead people that you don't understand. This is why in the United States, you have to be a naturally born citizen in order to be president of the United States. Some people may say, well, that's really intolerant. That's not fair. You know what? It's for a purpose. And our founders got that right from Deuteronomy 17. You need to be born in this country to understand the people. We don't want a foreigner coming in, leading the country astray from the foundations of how we are to be as a people. Same thing is in your business. If you're gonna hire a business leader, make sure they know the DNA of the business. If you're gonna hire people in the church, make sure they have the DNA of the church. They need to know the people that they are leading. They need to be among the people. They must refrain from selfish gain. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply gold and silver unto yourself. They, may, they need to maintain sexual morality. You shouldn't have more than one wife. You should be sleeping with only one person. David was not good at this. He dropped the ball on this one big time, and we'll see that in a few chapters. And it cost him dearly. Now, when you sleep with somebody, remember, you are becoming one. And again, I'll try to keep it PG here, but when two become one, it's not just a physical two becoming one, it's a spiritual two becoming one. If somebody is carrying a heavy demonic presence or a spirit and they have that intimacy with someone else, guess what's going to happen? The other person is going to get a little bit of that demonic, demonic heavy spirit. It's no different than in the physical. If you sleep with somebody that has a disease, guess what's going to happen? There's a good chance you're going to get that same disease. Two become one. And the Lord says, I want you to maintain sexual morality so that you don't begin to take on the gods and the ideas of the women and the people you are sleeping with from other nations that don't know me. I am the best thing for you. I want what's best for you, but it's me you have to have. And the moment you start being intimate with those people, you will be susceptible to being led away from me. And I don't want that because I love you. You must know the word of God if, you're, if you wanna be a godly leader. Get a copy of it and be in it daily. And I'm saying that as a pastor, it, that's convicting to me. There are days I get so busy, I don't have time to open the word of God. And that's not good. You need to be in the word daily. You must fear God and keep his commands. If you're not in the word daily, you won't know anything about God. You won't know his commands. How can you keep the commands? Being in the word leads to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom and knowledge. 
And that will lead you to keeping his commands, which then will bring blessings and prosperity and favor and victory to the warriors of God. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to Hadiazar, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Victory to David wherever he went. Wouldn't it be nice? Victory to Dean, wherever Dean goes. You're on your phone there. I, I caught you. I caught you. Oh, it's a Bible app. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Like, class, would, would you like to share that with the whole class? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> First of all, I was not trying to embarrass you, but I saw you and I was like, there he is right there. You looked up. Like, okay, wouldn't it be awesome? The Lord gave victory to Dean wherever he went. The Lord gave victory to the mutters wherever they went. The Lord gave victory. Insert your name. Don't you want that? The Lord gives you victory wherever you go. That's what was happening because David was walking in the righteousness of God. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadiazer, and he brought them to Jerusalem. And from Beta and from Berathai, cities of Hadiazer, King David took very much bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadiazer, Toy sent his son, Joram, to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadiazar and defeated him. For Hadiazar had often been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued. So you see now, God is giving favor to David from nations that see God's hand at work. So Toy sees this and sends his son, Joram, and says, hey, Hadiezer was a bad dude. Go give David thanks for what he's doing. Now, it doesn't say that Toy knows God, but Toy sees the victory of those who do know God. When you're walking in the victory of the Lord, those who don't even know the Lord are going to say, hey, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I, this is amazing. Like you are, how, is, how often do we as believers are, be led into dark areas where we're setting the captives free through the power of the Holy Spirit and the people don't even know Jesus and all of a sudden they're like, whatever you just did, you just beat back an enemy I've been wrestling with for many, many years. I want to know more about who you are. And that's when you get to point him and say, look at our commander that we're following. His name is Jesus. Commander of heaven's army. And you want to be a part of that victory? Come join us. That's what's going on here with David. And from Edom to Moab, the, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadiazar, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, all over, all over, David is getting great victory. Now remember, David is getting all of these articles of gold and silver. In last passage, last when Pastor Nathan was going into it, we saw the last chapter that David was told by the prophet Nathan he's not to build the temple. God said, you have blood on your hands, you're, you're a mighty warrior, and it's righteous that you went to war, but there's blood on your hands, and I want someone who's not a war king to be able to build the sanctity of the temple. That will be your son Solomon. But David, you have a very important role to play in this whole story. You get to lay the groundwork for the dream that God has placed in your heart, the dream of a temple. Pastor Nathan mentioned it last week. This is the concept of being a hero maker. And David was the hero maker in the life of his son Solomon. 
Maybe the Lord's given you a dream. Maybe the Lord has placed something in your heart that hasn't really come to fruition the way that you thought. My question to you is maybe God gave you that dream specifically so you could lay the groundwork so your children and children's children could stand on your shoulders to get to those heights. Maybe it's not you who's going to carry out the dream. You look at the founding of our nation. Many of our founders had the dream of liberty but never once got to see it come to fruition. But praise God they did what they did because now we are here. You go to Martin Luther King Jr. What was the name of his famous speech? The I have a dream speech. He said, I have a dream that someday my children will be judged by the content of their character of the, the heart, the content of their heart and their character, not by the color of their skin. He was assassinated shortly after that. He never saw that dream come to fruition, but praise God, we are standing on his shoulders seeing that dream come true. God is placing dreams in all of our hearts. God placed a dream in me a few years ago to start a next generation equipping grounds for worship leaders called Sing Love. And I, yeah, there you go. We got one. So, <laughs> thank you, Cam. I'll pay you the five bucks later. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but like guys like Cam and Krista and Emily who are up here today and people like Ephraim and, and Bronson, we, like they are traveling the country doing what, what once was my dream. I wanted to travel the country and play music for a living. And now they're doing it. And I, I mean, they just got back from Florida. They were in Florida a week and a half ago. They were in Lansing, Michigan, Lansing, Michigan this week. They were in Oklahoma a few weeks before that. I think, I think they got back at 11 o'clock a few nights ago. I, I probably should know where they are in the, in the country. That would probably be a good thing since I'm at the top of this thing. But, but I don't get to do it anymore and that's okay. God has pulled me out of that and he said, hey, you're now in this different season of life, but because of what you did, the dream I placed in your heart back then, there are people standing and students standing on your shoulders to go to even heights and levels that you never got to go to yourself. And praise God for that. I love watching that. I love seeing that. I don't get jealous. I don't get mad. It's like, oh, you're doing something I didn't get to do. I'm like, you're doing something I didn't ever got to do. Praise God. Now you be the hero maker for someone else. Billy Graham was asked once, he said, he was asked by a reporter at the end of his life, he said, if, if you could go back and do it all over again, you had these huge crusades. You had these huge, like, come to Jesus moments all around the world. Would you do it all over again the same way? And Billy Graham said, without missing a beat, he said, no, I wouldn't do it the same way. He said, what I would do is take all of the resources and the energy that it took to put those events on, and I would find 12 men. I would pour into them. I would tell them to go find 12 men to pour into them. I would then tell them to go find 12 men and go pour into them. He said, I would have been far more successful if I would have done it that way than the way I did it. Whoo! Talk about the hero-making concept coming, becoming very real. He got it. That's how Jesus did it. That's how we are to do it. Be hero-makers. He may have placed that dream in your heart, but he's raising up. He could be raising up someone else to fulfill that dream. That's what's happening with David right now. And David became famous. David became famous because the Lord was with him. Just remember that. You want people to know what you do and you want to have worth and you want a legacy that you're leaving behind to your children? Know the Lord, follow him, and he will give you victory and you will become famous. But it will not be for your glory. Please, please, please hear me. Do not seek the glory because if you do, you will not become famous. But if you become a follower of Jesus, people are going to take notice. That's just how this works. 
I pray every day. It's like, Lord, you've given me a platform. Increase my influence in my platform, but only, only, only if it means you get the glory. I do not want it. I don't seek it if you don't get the glory. If you get the glory, increase it. If you don't get the glory, take me off of it right now. That has got to be our hearts. And David had that same heart and he became famous after he returned down from being, after he returned from being victorious from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. And he put garrisons throughout Edom and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. The enemy now knew David and submitted to his authority. Church, I'm telling you right now, that is the same authority you have to walk through this life. Spirit of suicide, the spirit of fear, the spirit of, of, of health, the, the, the decrepit health, whatever you're going through, whatever the spirit, the demonic crap from the pits of hell is trying to take over in your life and in your world, you have the authority to make it get out of the way. But we walk with such fear sometimes. We walk so timidly. We don't have the warrior spirit that God has placed in his children sometimes, like we see in David. Do you have that warrior spirit? David reigned over all of Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Just and right for all his people. He was doing what Deuteronomy said. Now, I, I've said in the past, 2 Samuel is broken up into three parts. The first part is David's triumphs because he was following and honoring God. We're going to see here in the next few chapters, David's transgressions. He gets really dumb, does some stupid things. And those transgressions will lead to the third part of 2 Samuel, which is David's tribulation. Now the Lord protects him and walks with him through that, but it gets real hard for David because David was doing some really dumb things. But right now we're living in that sweet spot. David was honoring God. He was the warrior God had raised up and he is seeing great victory and triumph. And he did what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat was the son of Eliud, Alud. David Barker, how do you say that? Halud. There we go. Alilud. There we go. It was recorder. And you know what? A lot of other hard names here. So we're just going to skip this part. This person was the, he was the priest. He was the secretary. Oh, and this guy, oh, I'll do this. Beniah. The Kirathites and the Pelathites. Not, those are not diseases. Okay, just FYI. They are the secret service to the king. So that, those are the real elite of the elite warriors right there. So, and then David's sons were priests. Essentially, the chapter wraps up basically saying, here are the roles of the people. The kingdom is flourishing, but it's happening. The expansion of the Davidic kingdom is happening because God's favor was resting upon the warriors who were willing to act boldly. I said it earlier, Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. If you're made in the image of God, you will have that same spirit in you. Now walk in that. Remember, this whole, this whole two-year study that we've been in, First and Second Samuel, started with the boldness of a shepherd boy who fought Goliath. David, when he ran into battle, remember, he ran to, to Goliath. He didn't like gingerly walk into battle. He ran to Goliath. And he was speaking God's truth as he ran into the battle. He said, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the, the, the name of heaven's armies, the, my father, my, my leader, my commander. I am coming at you with heaven on my side. 
That's how we are to act as mighty warriors. From, from the time he ran in the battle and fought Goliath, to David's mighty men who stood with him while he was in exile, to the battles from Aram to Moab, the expansion of God's promise was a direct result of bold obedience. Bold obedience. Life Church, are we a people of bold obedience? I think we are. I see it. God is raising it. Now, let's not get complacent. Because the moment we do, we end up doing dumb things like what we're going to see David has did. But I think God is raising up bold, obedient warriors right now here at Life Church, And I'm so grateful and blessed to be a part of linking arms with each one of you. Matthew eleven twelve, just as Jesus, he says, From the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Dude, that sounds like a war going on if ever I've heard one. Violent people are attacking it, but the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing, taking back the ground by the warriors. The warriors of God are taking back the ground that the enemy has stolen. There's an old hymn from the 1800s in 1854. It's called The Christian Warrior, and I wanted to read that to you today. And it's on the back of your notes if you have that, and you can take it. And it's a... It's a it's an amazing picture at the fight that we're going in. It says, it says this, The Christian warrior see him stand in the whole armor of his God. The spirit sword is in his hand. His feet are with the gospel shod. In panoply of truth complete, salvation's helmet on his head. With righteousness a breastplate meet, and faith's broad shield before him spread. He wrestles not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, like a flood, nigh and assailing at all hours. Nor Satan's fiery darts alone, quenched on his shield, at him are hurled. The traitor in his heart is known in the dire friendship of this world. Undaunted to the field he goes, yet vain were skill and valor there, unless to foil his legion foes. The truest weapon were all prayer. With omnipotence he moves, from this the alien armies flee, till more than con conquer he proves through Christ who gives him victory. Thus strong in his Redeemer's strength, sin, death, and hell he tramples down, fights the good fight, and wins at length through mercy and immortal crown. James Montgomery knew what Ephesians 6 said. And Ephesians 6 is such an awesome look at how we as warriors for God need to go into the battle. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies or against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's who we're fighting. The demonic. Those evil influences within the world. We're doing it. How? Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. That's how. So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So stand your ground. Don't run away. Don't cower. Don't, don't live in fear. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on, comes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That is the mandate of the Christian warrior. That is the mandate 
God is calling all of us to. Is that, is that your heart? Now, you may be saying, Pastor Mike, it all sounds good, but how do I do that? Here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Just ask the Lord to make you bold. It's, it's his job to make you look like he looks. It's not your job to start looking that way and then come to him. You come to him as you are and say, Lord, I am the vessel in your hand, given me the spirit of the war horse, the spirit that you put in David, the spirit that it models our God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the warrior, the commander of heaven's armor, army. And we read Ephesians 6 often. I know you've heard it probably before. I know it's kind of one of those things that kind of, you know, comes in one ear and goes out the other ear. And, and it, it doesn't do justice just on the paper. I feel like if heaven, if, if we were to hear the saints around us, the cloud of witnesses right now, I feel that they would be reading, not the way we read, they would be reciting and powerfully quoting Ephesians 6 to us. And it might sound a little something like this. Imagine heaven is telling you right now, Ephesians 6 is your way to be a mighty warrior for Christ. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, against authorities of the unseen rule world, and against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will stand firm. So stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the mighty word of God. So pray, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It's how we go into the battle. Take the truth and take back what the enemy has stolen. Let me pray over us. In the mighty name of Jesus, God, I pray a blessing of boldness, a spirit like the spirit of the war horse, the spirit you placed in David, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the commander of heaven's armies to be in the hearts of every person here at Life Church. God, as we go out in this world and we speak boldly with truth, we love the way you love, but we, we fight the way that you are calling us to fight, God. Let us go with the full knowledge that you are there with us, that the victory is yours, the battle is yours. We just have to go out and speak the truth. Father, put that mighty, mighty victory in our hearts, in our hands, and let us see many people come to know you because of the boldness of Life Church and churches like us all over this world. We love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. You were you encouraged are by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.